welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is NJCAA Division III National Champion Tyler Community College head coach Doug Wren. Coach Wren is entering his 13th season as head coach at Tyler. Tyler has won five national championships, and Coach Wren has a 459 and 194 record. The Apaches have been to eight World Series in the last 11 years. He's very active with NJCA, serving on the executive and international committees. In this episode, we break down Tyler's national championship run, his coaching staff, player development, practice planning, developing hitters, and his wife still focusing on what is best for the player. Let's welcome Coach Ryan to the podcast. Here with Doug Ren, uh, Division Three NJC national champs, uh, Tyler, uh, and I... I gave you guys a shout out early in the year, but I said UT Tyler, so I called I called Kevin Vest. I was like, I'm sorry, I did a screw up on this. I know you guys aren't UT Tyler, you're Tyler Community College, but entering 13th season, uh, five national championships in 12 seasons, eight of the last um, 11 World Series. You guys have been there. Tyler alum, a Howard Payne alum, and then just recently ABCA ATEC Coach of the Year, so congrats again. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, this is is tremendous. Um, you know, it, it's just great. You've had such success, um, and and I don't say short amount. I mean, thirteen seasons is is a long time. You're getting up there, but you've had so much success there, and I just think it's a great snapshot for people to to listen in. And have you really had a chance to to reflect on the season? You guys were forty and fifteen, win the national championship. Have you had an opportunity to take a breather? Yeah, not. Not too much yet. Uh, we're, we're, we're getting there. The summer has been pretty busy, but, um, yeah, certainly, um, as, as you're able to win a national championship and, and the further you get away from that, there's obviously some opportunities to be able to sit down. Um, I'll be honest. I, I think one of the coolest parts I, I attended one of our players weddings, um, uh, last week. And so there was quite a few members of that team, um, that were there. And so it was really cool for us to be able to uh, reminisce, talk about the season, 
uh, to talk about different parts of the season, um, highs, the lows, um, you know, the winning streaks and then the tough losses and, and all the little things that go into a championship season and, and the little um, nuances and the, the big moments. And, and so um, that was really fun for me to be able to sit around in a, in a totally different environment um, and to be able to have these guys and just kind of hear their perspectives of, of the year as it went on. And, and, um, and so certainly appreciate this year, um, maybe more than any others, just because of what this last year has been um, for all of us. Um, the amount of obstacles that, that we had to um, face um, over the last nine, 10 months. And then just, um, you know, the adversity that those guys faced, but then, you know, obviously the perseverance that they had and, and just really cool um, to see a lot of the things come to fruition and, and for us to be able to celebrate together as a team. How is their perspective on everything? You know, you don't normally get that perspective from an 18 to, you know, 20 year old on, on how COVID was for them and, and how it's still going for them. Yeah, I think that was, that was something certainly as a, as on the coaching side of things, we had a, a lot of, you know, protocols and procedures and, and though, and then for them, it, it's, it's a lot of the same thing as they show up day to day. There's, there's lots of different ways that we're doing things, especially for some of those guys who've been in our program for two years, this was um, the way that we had to do things in the fall and, and in the spring, just very, very different. But, you know, we, we tried to make sure that um, we kept the main thing, the main thing. And I think these guys were, I noticed um, a, a better sense of gratitude um, this year than maybe I ever have um, for obvious reasons. I think we were all, um, just happy to be on a baseball field and be playing the game that we love and, and have the opportunity to play. And um, certainly that helped with mentality. We talk about that as coaches. You're always trying to get your team to buy into these concepts, whether it's selflessness, selflessness and gratitude and, you know, all these things, humility that, that help help athletes get into a state of mind to where they can tap into their best, you know, to be the best version of themselves that they can be. And so I certainly think that uh, what we went through with COVID and all these regulations and procedures and shutdowns and startups and start stops, um, it gave us a sense of gratitude. And we certainly took that and ran with it and tried to take advantage of it and, and tried to stay in that kind of mindset every day. And it was really cool to see how those guys kind of grasp onto that, that type of idea. You still have guys looking for spots. I mean, that that's been kind of the, the backlog of this whole thing. Do you still have guys looking for homes right now? We do. We have probably just a couple left that we're still trying to find some homes for. Um, probably uh, the hardest part about this whole year was, was the recruiting, um, allowing our guys to get seen, um, especially if, if they were a division one caliber player. Um, obviously those guys didn't, didn't have the opportunity to do that. Um, like some of the D twos and NAIs and D threes. Um, and so certainly a challenging from our perspective and finding a good fit, 
at the next level, but then obviously understanding there's backlogs, there's not as money on the as much money on the table. And so guys are trying to um, decipher what is best for them. And, and we have a couple that are deciding to come back just to, um, as we all hope this fall will be hopefully normal. And from a recruiting standpoint and the exposure will be um, hopefully what it's, what it was before COVID. And so um, we have some guys that are choosing to come back for one more year so that they can take advantage of that. And they still got the year back from the NJCA, correct? They did. They did. So neither one of last year or this year really counted for them. And so certainly all the third year guys that were with us, we are trying to move those guys on. Um, but we had some guys that were technically still, you know, it's their sophomore year, but technically still freshmen. And so those guys kind of have the option to, you know, leverage one more year or if they're ready and they have the opportunity that they want in front of them to take it. And so, so many dynamics, so many levels going into that and um, certainly a challenge for us on the coaching staff. You know, in season, I'm looking with Coastal Ben there in the playoffs. Um, you guys advanced to the World Series, correct? Um, lost two out of three. We did. We did. We, uh, you know, and, and it, it was, you know, this was such a storybook year, to be honest. Um, we were able to play in a Division One conference, um, had a lot of success in that conference we get to postseason. We kind of go our own separate way. We kind of go the division three postseason route. I was a little worried about that from a mindset standpoint where you'd, you'd kind of had a lot of success in this division one conference. And then all of a sudden your guys are kind of going to a quote unquote different level, but the same token division three baseball down here is very good. And there's not as much drop off as, as maybe people might think. And Coastal Bend had a really good year. They played in a Division One conference down there with Sanjack and Blinn and Wharton and, and Galveston and those schools. And so um, we had met them early in the year. Um, we swept them, really didn't have very many problems with them. Um, so you're also battling the psychology of that. So um, they came in and took, to those guys' credit, to Brian Barley and his club, they played outstanding baseball for three days. And um, really mistake-free. Um, they didn't make a single error in three games. Every hit found a hole. Um, they made every play on defense. Um, you know, and so it was It was just a, a weekend in which, you know, I don't think we played terrible. I think as a coach, you, you go back and you, you start looking at some of the things. Did we throw strikes? Did we play good defense? Did we have quality at bats? And really, I didn't feel like we just – you know, we're a disaster. You know, I felt like we played, it was just a really good, clean played weekend and they had some things go their way and, and they got the last hit in the 13th inning of game three after a four hour rain delay. So, you know, um, but I, I really felt like the resume that we had put together was deserving of an opportunity to, to be one of the eight teams in Greenville, Tennessee. And, and so fortunately the committee felt, um, felt likewise, it felt similar. And so, um, you know, I, I'll be honest. I really think that might've been the best thing that happened to us, um, uh, was experiencing a little bit of failure there right before the world series and, uh, humility goes a long way and, uh, can create and light a fire. And so, um, really felt like we played really good baseball, um, that, that last week and a half. 
Yeah, how was the preparation then? You know, you're not knowing if you're getting in, you get in. So how was the prep then for that week going to Tennessee? Yeah, definitely challenging as a coach. You're, you're trying to keep these guys um, locked in. Um, you know, we we felt like we had a good resume, but you never know. You know, at, at that point, when you put your hands, when you put your fate in the hands of a committee, um, you never know what's going to happen. And so, um, but we, to, to their credit, it was a very veteran group to their credit. Um, and we showed up to the ballpark that week of not knowing, and we gave them a couple of days off just to kind of get away from the game. And then we came back and we, we started preparing, like we were going to try to win a national championship. And, um, to their credit, they bought into that and they didn't have to, but it was something that we certainly felt like was important so that, um, if we got that, that ticket, that at large bid, that we would be ready to go do. Um, what we knew we were capable of doing, you know, and, and, you know, you talk about, okay, we're going to practice like we're going to play for a national championship and win a national championship. What are some specifics on that for practice that week that, okay, here's how, and, and maybe what was different at prepping wise up to that point. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, this team, like I said, was a very veteran group. And so we were, we're very big into our routines and our preparations all year long. Um, playing in that division one conference, preparing weekend, week out. Um, you know, our guys did a really good job, uh, working during the week to prepare for the weekends. And so I don't know if we necessarily changed a whole lot. I think there was a different kind of focus because of coming off of losing two out of three. And so I think there was a different focus to that preparation that, um, if we do get an opportunity to go be one of these eight teams, that um, we're going to be ready. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of like getting a mulligan on a golf course, right? Like you miss the first putt and you put another one down there and you sink it. Um, that was our goal is that if we were going to get a mulligan, that we were going to sink it and we're going to be ready for it. And um, and so to their credit, we just, we stuck with the plan, the routines, the things that we did to prepare us for weekends um, and um, really felt like that was our best way. You know, we didn't, we didn't feel like it was a lack of preparation losing the two out of three. We just felt like it was a really good weekend of baseball. Um, some things didn't go our way, um, which is baseball. And, you know, I think we saw that all summer long in, in a lot of these other tournaments and especially the, you know, the division one tournament on, you know, there was some good teams that, that weren't in Omaha and there was some really hot teams in Omaha that, um, you know, got hot and, and won at the right times and had some opportunities that they took advantage of. And so uh, we just felt like if we did get another opportunity that, um, you know, really wasn't a lack of preparation. I think there was just a little bit different of a focus there. Yeah. And went and played extremely well at the World Series. I mean, how has your experience been in Tennessee? Yeah, it's been good. You know, it, it was <clears throat> it, it was it was good. We got off to a really good start. Obviously, we won four in a row. Uh, which is the obviously the best way to do it. Uh, stay in the winner's bracket gives you the off day. Um, but, um, you know, another part of that is we, we got our best player back. Um, we had an outfielder named Heath Hood that, that had been hurt the last seven weeks of the season. And, um, you know, as coaches, if, if you've been fortunate enough to be a part of a special team, you, those special teams have special players. And so um, Heath was that for us. And, um, we certainly missed him those last seven weeks. And, um, certainly in the game of baseball, one player doesn't make or, or break, but it's certainly having him back the lineup gave us a shot in the arm. And, um, he took, 
he was out for seven weeks with a broken foot, came back in the first game of the World Series he hits for the cycle. So how he did that, I, I have no clue how a guy can take seven weeks off and come back and just be as hot as he was. But um, that certainly gave us the spark that we needed and kind of re-energized our offense, and, and um, which was a, a huge part of our success all year long is we were able to jump jump out to some big leads, the pitching settles in and we kind of add on and that was kind of the recipe all year long. And so, well, yeah, um, you Tennessee, averaged over eight runs a game. That's a, that's a really good yeah. offensive year when you're averaging over eight runs a game. No doubt. And it was a very special offense, probably one of the best offenses we've had here from a standpoint of just being dynamic. Uh, we could hit the ball, the ballpark, we could still bases, we could take walks. We didn't strike out very much. You know, normally, if you're an offense that has a lot of extra base hits, you're probably striking out a little bit more. Maybe the running game isn't there. And we just we we had some really athletic kids that that kind of bought into some philosophies and and, you know, did a great job of of really working counts and and um, taking advantage of bad, bad elevated off speed or taking advantage of some fastball counts. And so. Is that an um, experience thing with your lineup? Was that an older lineup for you guys with more experience that that maybe understood the strike zone a little bit more than some younger guys? Definitely. Absolutely. Was a big part of it. You know, we, we had quite a few sophomores in that lineup and and uh, that had a lot of college at bats underneath their belt. And so, you know, certainly we had, you know, COVID to thank for that, you know, because we had about three to four guys that probably would have left that are back. And, um, you know, really – four of our most productive or three of our most productive guys with Heath Hood, um, Jacob Johnson, and then Miguel Vega, who ended up having the 21 home runs. You know, those guys, just one more year of seasoning, one more year of understanding the strike zone, understanding really who they are and who they are as hitters and their strengths. And so, um, you know, definitely more of a veteran lineup, but, um, you know, was, was really for me, coaching, coaching, you know, this, this team, and then being able to organize the offense on game days, uh, was a lot of fun to pull the strings and push the buttons. Yeah. It's a lot more fun when you're scoring runs. Oh man. Yeah, absolutely. So will you keep the schedule the same then for next year with your, your non-conference schedule and conference schedule? Will it stay the same for you guys? You know, we'd like to, we, uh, to be honest, we're, um, we're looking to try to bump up to be a, a fully funded member of a division one conference. And so, um, that is, um, something that we're looking to do. It's definitely not something that is set in stone right now. We are in the process of that this summer. And, uh, I am in the hopes of, of maybe making that transition, um, this fall. And, and then, so that means that this spring we would be in the division one conference, um, and, kind of taking that next step as a program. And so uh, we certainly appreciate all that's, that's happened at the division three level and the success that we've had, um, you know, and uh, I, I just think it's maybe a time, the time in our program that uh, would be a good step in that direction. And, and so um, we're, we're definitely looking forward to that and hopefully those pieces fall together this summer. Well, yeah, because what else can you do? I mean, it's um, you've won uh, so many national championships. Like, okay, there, there's some other avenues out there for us to compete at a little bit different level. Yeah, I, I just, I think it's, the, I think it's the perfect timing for our program. I think, I think it is the next step. As, as it, you know, obviously as a coach, 
Um, you're always looking at ways to elevate your program. What's the next step? How can we get better? If you win a national championship, how can we win another one? You know, how, where, where are we lacking in areas? Where can we get better? And so, you know, we've certainly continued to try to ask those questions year in and year out. And, um, you know, myself and our administration have had some conversations about um, possibly going to division one level and, and bringing in some scholarships so that, um, you know, hopefully we can go do, make some, do some damage in Grand Junction at some point. And so that would be the goal. And so um, I just think it's, it's the next step for the program as we're wanting to continue to move this thing forward. Any unsung hitters, heroes on the, the squad? Yeah, you know, um, we we certainly had some guys. I mean, I, to be honest, the Miguel Vega kid was was a guy that, um, you know, he, he hit – he was the national player of the year. He hit 390, maybe 14, 15 doubles, 21 home runs, 70 RBIs. Um, you know, he was a kid that um, – big kid coming out of high school. He hit 360 for us as a true freshman. Uh, but I think probably, and I don't have his stats offhand, but uh, maybe six or seven extra base hits. Um, big singles guy, you know, and we, we give him, we gave him a hard time for that. And, and, you know, I think for him just learning how to, I mean, this is a 240 pound, six foot two, six foot three singles hitter. And so I was just really honest with him on just like, you know, to be honest, when it comes time for you to leave this place, you're going to be a hard sell because you're a DH first baseman and you're a singles hitter. You're not a stolen base top guy. He was really one of the only guys in the lineup that wasn't just a stolen base threat. And so we worked really hard the year that COVID hit. We worked really hard on leveraging plus counts and hitting bad off speed and understanding how to hit the hanging breaking ball and, and so he was starting to get a little bit of that and then COVID hits. And so I think for anybody, you know, this third year was a year that he really gained some confidence in some areas and understood who he is. And, and, and then he goes off and has the year that he has. And so I think he was a guy that maybe we didn't really think was going to have that type of year. Certainly thought he was possible of that um, or capable of that. Um, but, um, what were some drills you worked with him on working on hitting the breaking ball? You know, honestly, um, for us is, uh, machine curveballs and they, we, our guys see hanging break balls every single day off a machine every single day. And so, um, I think just kind of understanding, um, what that looks like and just trusting your eyes, trusting your hands, you know, trusting the big part of the field, um, not getting pull heavy in that and, you know, and really trying to yank that pitch. Cause I think a lot of times younger hitters will hit that a million miles foul. And so him or give up on it. I mean, that, that, that was the biggest thing for me is yep. Yep. the one that you should hit is the one initially that, that guys give up yep. on. And that's exactly Miggy was a guy who would take that pitch his freshman year and it wasn't what he was quote unquote looking for. And so, you know, if, if you fast forward to our national championship game in the bottom of the eighth inning and he hits that one off his shoestrings, he's actually sitting on that pitch. And, you know, he drives it out and hits it off the scoreboard. And so it's, it's really fun as a coach when you can connect those dots to a guy that had no clue how to hit that pitch, who would take that pitch and in a national championship game with the game on the line, you're down by one, and he hits this off his shoestrings. 
um, you know, really a cool full circle moment for him and for me as a coach. And so, um, you know, we practice really hard on those kind of things and um, really just found that the machine um, has been, you know, really big for us in creating those shapes, good sliders, bad sliders, good curveballs, bad curveballs. We mix those in every day. And, and, you know, the failure is a big part of our practice every day. And so him just failing at it and learning and progressing, I think um, he gained some confidence and, and became the hitter he was. So Which machine? We use the hack attack, both the, the big guy and the junior. Um, and so we've got three or four that we use. Um, a lot of times, sometimes we'll set them up together and we'll have two machines going at a time, fastball slider. Um, and sometimes what we'll do is we'll say, Hey, we're facing a fastball slider guy. Fastball's got a little run. Slider's got a little bit of this kind of shape and we'll actually create a type of pitcher. And then the batting practice will all be centered around beating that guy. And so, um, you know, really feel like that's been a big part of our offense, um, and, and how we've evolved. And, um, I think the machines, um, you know, 15 years ago, 16 years ago, when I got into coaching, we weren't using machines ever. Um, I didn't like them. Um, and, but over time, I think you've just, I've just kind of seen that, that bringing in an element of failure into our practice is good. And our guys learn how to deal with failure. Are you using it all pregame batting practice at all? Or are you rolling the machines out there for a, for a game pregame? We, we do, um, we don't do them on field, but we do them in the cages in pregame. And so a lot of times if, if we know what we're facing, like, especially like lefty, righty slider curveball, um, we'll try to set up whatever their off speed pitch looks like in the cage. So those guys are seeing some, at least seeing that in pregame. Um, we have been known to at times that, um, you know, maybe we had a bad couple of games to go pregame machine and, and get after it. Um, at first, our guys hate the machines. And then, um, you know, an example would be I got a text yesterday from uh, from one of our players and he's like, coach, what what's setting for this? What's setting for that? You know, how do, what, what kind of setting did you put these on when we did this when we did this round? So you go from them absolutely dreading hitting the machines to texting you when it's all said and done, asking you how you set this up for them. And so um, they just learn to to where they that's what they want. That's what they desire every day, because I think they 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 can connect the dots. You know, I think for us, it was a it was a big you know, we'd hit BP on a Friday night and guys are hitting six or seven home runs during BP and they're squaring all these balls up and they go over four on Saturday. And they were like trying to connect the dots. Like, you know, man, I was really feeling good last night. And then today, oh, four, three punchies pop up. And so I really wanted to bring an element of failure into their daily routines to where there was, there was a little bit of grit there. There was, you know, adaptability. You know, we've actually added that word into our core values when it comes to our hitting core values. You know, it's like, okay, we want to attack fastball. We hit that, you know, you got all these core values. Adaptability is one of them. And we're going to be able to hit 92, 94. We're going to be hit a lefty that's 82, 84, you know? And so we want our guys in the mindset that it doesn't matter what's on the mound, that we've faced it in, in some kind of practice setting. Yep. I mean, it, 
the challenge piece is is getting better and better across all levels for coaches where 100%. where challenging guys does make games easier give your staff yeah. some love guys have been with you the assistants they don't always get some love give your staff some love absolutely so um starts mike rupenthal has been a pitching coach uh with me um this will be starting his fourth year with us and so really cool because he came in in 19 we, we came up just we lost them in, in that third game of the, of the super regional and then COVID hit we had felt like we had a really good team in 20 uh, COVID hits and then last year him able to be able to uh, be called a champion and so uh, he's actually up in the Northwoods League right now he's the head coach of the, the Brazos Valley Bombers and and he does a great job of just uh, developing pitchers and um, you know he understands a little bit about what's going on not only at the uh, professional level, but obviously at the bigger college levels and, and kind of what our guys need to be able to do, not only to be successful here, but at the next level. And so uh, he does a good job of, of getting those guys ready to pitch on game days and, and developing their stuff. Um, Jordan Trahan, uh, former All-American of mine, uh, that's come back to coach for me, coaches third base, does a really good job with our hitters. Uh, Jacoby Bogue, another former player of mine. That's what's been kind of cool is to bring some of those former players back um, and to have them in the system. Um, Cody Jamison, who's been a guy that's actually been with me about six years, uh, very steady um, guy that does a lot of really good fungo work, hits our in and out. He does a really good job with, with that. Um, and then we had an opportunity to bring a, a dear a, a friend in, um, in Brock Meyer, who was a former national player of the year in 2007 He's been a coach around this area and um, he needed about a four month window to, to get some medical things kind of straightened out. And so he came on board and just did an excellent job of just kind of just being a bench coach and uh, just kind of be another set of eyes. And, and I think the guys just, just trusted them. And so, uh, man, just, just really a, a cool staff that really felt, I felt like, uh, bought into kind of what we were doing and really had had our our kids best interest in mind and so um, you certainly don't do any of this without those guys and so um, you know I, we you know unfortunately our our we don't have a whole lot of high paid positions and so it is sometimes a high turnover uh, staff but um, these guys have done a great job and, and um, I'm hoping to kind of retain most of those guys for next year and, and bring them back How's the interview process for you evolved since you started and now when you're hiring new guys? Yeah, you know, um, you know, I think as a coach, you just you start understanding what what you want more in an assistant and what you value more. Um, I think a lot of times early on it was a lot of baseball questions, and now they've kind of turned into more life questions. Because um, at the end of the day, you know, these guys are going to be in leadership over our guys. And so obviously we want them to be great baseball minds, but we want them to be hard workers and we want them to have our kids best interest in mind. And so um, I think it's evolved a lot from baseball type questions, which we still ask those, but I think I, I put a lot more stock maybe into um, a little bit about who they are, what makes them who they are. Um, you know, and, and certainly I, I it's been fun as I've gotten older uh, my assistants kind of stay the same age. They, they stay younger. Um, I've gotten a little older. Um, and so it's been kind of fun to be able to pour into those guys as well and hopefully help develop them in their coaching careers. 
and help them become who they want to become in this game and, and hopefully pass on some of those values. So, um, that's nice to have former players, Matt. It was always nice for me to have former players on staff. It definitely is. It's they're they're already um, right off the bat is is some some gelling that's already there. Um, there's some expectations that are already kind of known. Um, now, to be honest, there's things that we're doing in our program that when Jordan Trahan was here in 2016 ish, we weren't we we're doing things maybe totally different now. So that's been kind of fun too, is to kind of show him you know. Hey, these, this is kind of where we've gone. This is where we were. And, um, and obviously he's coming from a different program and he's bringing in some, um, um, some new things. And, and that's, that's what I want. I want to, uh, I'm, I'm never one to think that my way is the highway. And so, um, if, if, if he's going to be able to bring some value into some certain areas and we think it's, it's the best thing for our guys then we'll, we'll implement that too. So, what were some um, things but, that he uh, brought in that, that maybe you guys weren't doing? Yeah, I, I think more so, um, you know, terminology wise, there was some different terminology that he was using, which I thought was good. Um, that, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a hundred different ways to get to a certain point. And so we, I think there was some terminology that he was able to bring in that we've kind of added. That's kind of helped give us just another way to be able to present some things to our guys. And so, um, and then I think, you know, he's, he's, he's very, he's very studied as far as the, the, the mechanics of the hitting is, is, has gone. And so we've kind of let him kind of be um, introduce some of his drills um, into some of our fall type early practices, as we're trying to just kind of get some of the, some, some of our main teachings out there very early. And so, um, he does a good job with that. And then he's just like a big teddy bear. And so the guys, the guys um, relate to him really well. And, um, you know, I'm a little more business. He's a little more fun. So it's a, it's, it's a good combination when we attack the hitters together. So what are your key points for hitters? When you, when you first get a guy into the program and you're breaking down hitting, what are some of the, your main keys with them for hitting? Yeah. You know, I think a couple of things we, mechanically it's, it's, it's very, very hard for us because we are a two-year school. So sometimes it's hard to really break down the mechanics and strip them down because you kind of have to have your freshman play. So you, you can't break them down too far uh, because you do have to have these guys that perform and perform at a high level. And so, you know, what we try to do is we try to take who they are and try to just build in. There, there's some things that we care about, whether, whether it's just, you know, we talk about power position. I think regardless of where you start, I think just getting to a good power position is key. Um, you know, we talk a lot about connection, just syncing up the lower body with the upper body. Um, that's a big deal. We've got a handful of drills that we do with that, are, that have to do with connection. And then, and then, you know, obviously just reinforcing just bat path. And so, you know, those two, those three things working from the lower body, sinking it with the upper body and then sinking up with, with hopefully getting the barrel through the zone for a long time. And so everybody's going to get there a little differently, but those are some things that we talk about a lot because those are some things that, you know, if we get to a power position, it's going to give us the best position to be able to get connected, slot a barrel and be as powerful as we can. 
um, getting to the zone. And obviously our bat path's going to give us some margin for error um, from a timing perspective. And so those are kind of the three things that we talk about more often, um, you know, and so um, we try not to get too technical into a lot of those things because everybody's so different. So as long as we're kind of attacking those three areas um, and guys are understanding those concepts, then, you know, hopefully guys are getting to a power position consistently. They're getting connected and getting the most out of their body. And then hopefully the barrel is, is on plane for a while. If those three things are happening, then we feel like they're going to give themselves the best chance to be successful as a hitter. And so um, those are the three things that we kind of attack early on. And then honestly, the further we get away from day one, we, we really at some point kind of start transitioning and talking more mentality, approach, consistency, you know, kind of breeding those things in. And, and that's kind of how we build up throughout the year. Um, you know, moving from August to, to June. Your 2019 talk uh, at Dallas was was tremendous. Um, is your why still the same? I mean, is the why and the motivation still the same for you after five national championships? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. You know, that what a humbling experience being able to talk at ABCA and, and being up on the main stage and just crazy because I grew up just being in the audience and I still do. I love to go to those. I, 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 it's just, I get fed every year and, and, um, you know, and I, I'll be honest, like Pat and I, Pat Murphy and I text all the time and he has just been a, a really cool mentor of mine. Um, and, and we, we about text once a month and then when we're in our post seasons, maybe a little bit more than that. And so, but, um, I think when it comes to the whys, you know, it, it's just funny. They, 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 they just go more from the baseball thing to the life thing. And just like I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, we were able to celebrate uh, one of our four players marriages a couple of weeks ago. And it's just, and to have 14 or 15 of those guys there. And I mean, these guys are, they're becoming men and they're going out into their communities and they're getting jobs, they're getting married, and they're going to have to lead a household. And they're going to become members of their church and of their communities and serving these areas. And so we want them to understand that that um, this is way more than just baseball, that um, the, the structure of this program, the values, how we do things, baseball is just a vehicle. And it's just, it's, we, we certainly think, and I'm sure you agree with this is that baseball is such a, you know, um, you know, it's such a microcosm of life, you know? And so we try to just use those as teaching points and, and, um, you know, championships are, are great and we certainly want to compete and we certainly try to win. And, and, you know, we want to, we want to represent ourselves well. And, um, but at the end of the day, you know, our guys are growing up and they're going to be holding on to certain values, good or bad. And they're going to be baseball is, is, you know, the draft's going on right now. And, and there's some guys right now that are realizing that their name's not going to be called. And so now that the bat and the ball are, are being put down and now they've, they've got to go get a job and they got to support a family at some point And, and they got to learn how to be a, a productive member of our society. And so um, I, I'll be extremely honest. Um, you know, 
having been at the pinnacle of our, you know, our, our division five times, um, it's, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing your guys, you know, get jobs, have families, get married, have kids. I, I'll be honest that that's, um, that's way more rewarding than a championship. And it's just, the championship sometimes can be hollow if, if you're, if you're not focusing on the right things. And so, um, I kind of learned that after my first couple, you know, and I, I talked about this during the ABCA, but you know, Matt Deggs does, he does such a tremendous job, but he, he said something many, many years ago that has had his, that has really stuck with me. And it was around that 2014, 15 time, but he talks about being transformational over transactional. It's so easy to get caught up in that to be, especially at our level in the college level, especially junior college, because it's kids in, kids out, kids in, kids out. And it can be such a, what can you do for me so that we can win? And then we'll help you go to the next level. But it's just like, Hey, come in, do what you need to do for me. And then we'll send you out and then then you're on and you're done with us. And so um, we certainly, um, we want this to be a time where our guys are different when they leave this place and when they come in. And so, um, if, if that happens, then our, our, our job's done. And so that's, that's kind of how, um, I've, I've, I try to keep my focus and my why, and, and that, that really kind of drives everything that we do in our program. I had a brief interaction. I didn't do much with the younger kids, but did coach one in a, in a PBR event a long time ago. He's just drafted extremely high and I'm texting back and forth with his dad. And I'm like, Hey, just from my experience of all the guys that I've had drafted, which were a lot, and coached some big leaguers, but their only regret is the guys that waited too long to get their degrees. So I'm like, just make sure that he yeah. enrolls in some classes and make yeah. sure that he gets his degree. That's been only guys' regrets. You know, even the guys that didn't make it, if they waited too long and they're 25, 26, still trying to get their degree, that's been their only regret with, with signing is not getting their degree early enough. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. No, there's, there's no doubt, you know, professional baseball is a great dream to aspire to. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, you have to set yourself up for life after baseball. Um, Cause just like we know, athletics can be cruel and, and that world is a business and, and injuries happen. And, and um, you know, I've, I've, I've actually have a foreign player come out over tonight. He's going to cook for him and his fiance. Well, not fiance yet, but um, hopefully I didn't, run that. So don't run this podcast. For, for It'll be for a while, but, um, him and his girlfriend and, and, um, man, that is something that me and my wife have, have certainly, um, enjoyed, um, is having, um, former players over getting to know them. Um, I love when guys stick around Tyler, um, and they, they raise their families up here. Cause I get to be part of that. And so it's been fun. Um, but he played in the Tampa Bay Rays organization. They got a pink slip over COVID. And, you know, he was like, you know what, I'm gonna start life. And, you know, what is now I've got to start, I get become the man that I need to be. And I'm looking and pursuing a wife and I want to raise kids. And so it's been fun to kind of have those conversations with them. Um, instead of just like, uh, Hey, you remember when you, you know, you, you missed that fly ball or you didn't hit that curve ball or, or whatnot. So, um, it's been certainly cool as I've gotten older, um, and now that I've got kids of my own and, and, um, to be able to hopefully be some kind of father figure to these guys. 
you know, in your, your, your talk, you talked about, you know, playing for a coach that kind of maybe didn't hamstring you, but kind of put you in a box. What would you wish have been different with, with that playing experience to allow you to kind of have your own personality and be yourself? Yeah, I, I think, um, and this is awesome. It, it really is cool because I don't regret any of that because it's, it's shaped me as a coach. So I, I, I certainly wish, okay, what if I would have done this or that and what would have happened and whatnot. But um, everything that happened in my playing career has helped shape me as a coach, good and bad. And so, um, you know, I just felt like um, I was always looking over my shoulder. Um, I could never, you know, I just never felt like it was good enough. And, and I'll, I'll be really honest. I will shoulder a lot of that blame. Um, humility was not a huge part of, of, of my life at that time. And so, um, I think if, if I would have been a little more humble and a little more teachable, um, maybe it would have come across a different way. I think, um, there's a two straight two um, you know, two way street there with coaches and players and, and, um, and so, you know, I tell my guys this all the time. I got some really good marriage advice a few years ago, you know, six or seven years ago when I got married is that it's not a 50-50% deal, this whole marriage thing. It's 100-100. Like, it's going to take all of who you are and it's going to take all of her all of her to make this thing work and for it to thrive and grow. And the more I started thinking on the concept, it's the same concept with coaches and players, is I'm going to give them 100% of who I am. And in return, if they give me 100% of who they are, um, this whole thing called development and growth is going to happen. And so um, we that's, in, that's, our, that's part of our recruiting pitch. I tell my guys when they come to this program that I'm going to give you 100% of who you are, of who I am. And if you give me 100% of who you are, I think your time here, you're going to see your time here is valuable and you're going to get the most out of the experience. And so um, – Going back, I don't know if I really gave 100% of who I was. And so I will certainly shoulder a lot of that blame. But um, I think it is important for coaches to um, to create an atmosphere in which our guys feel like they can be the best version of themselves to where um, it doesn't mean that you just let them do whatever they want to do. You know, we certainly have um, accountability and we certainly have parameters and boundaries for our guys. And our guys understand when they cross them. Yeah, how do you handle it when guys, you know, when when there is some accountability that has to to be brought? How do you handle some of the accountability things? Yeah, um, certainly one of the toughest things to do in coaching, you know, is is creating some of that accountability and parenting and and being and parenting and, and, and being married. Like it, it yeah, all, it it's all the same. Absolutely, but you know, um, I was actually I was I was listening to a sermon podcast a couple of days ago, and a guy named Tommy Nelson that did in Bible Church was talking about the kids in his church, and like the, the that the the worst kids in his church either had too strict of parents or didn't have any parenting at all, and so it's the same thing for coaching is like, you know, if you're so hard on them they're gonna kind of rebel against you, they're not gonna get you know, and then if if you don't have any rules then, then, you know, they're going to just do whatever they want. And so I think there is a fine line of having um, some things and some boundaries in place. That's why I like calling them boundaries is because we allow our guys to play within them and be who they are. 
and we we try to get that person out of them. And so, from, you know, you know, accountability wise, we do it in a certain number of ways. But I'll, I'll never forget I was listening ABCA Jim Schlossnagel um, talking years and years and years ago that he uses the bench and he uses um, he uses um, kind of their time away. I don't know if you would technically call it a suspension, but it's like he, a, gave, he gave a great story on Brian Holiday, who's a yep. very good player for them. And he, he I, I still remember it, too. He sent him home because he was late and his deal was, I will call you when I need you. Call you when I need you. <laughs> and we do that, too. And um, I just like that. And, you know, it's like, hey you're not going to run. Like, I'm not going to run you because you're an athlete. And I have a kind of a funny story with that. I had a, I had a, a kid, he's actually in AAA right now. And he was a freshman for us. And uh, he was our number one starter. And the night before our number one start, his roommate got in trouble in the dorms. And, um, but it was their room and he lived in that room too. And so I punished both of them. And I made him run. And I had a I had a I had a deal where it was like 10 miles. Like you can't come back to this team until you've run 10 miles. This was a long time ago. And so I watched him during practice run 10 miles. And the very next day, I in, in my my whole deal is after you, you know, we had a couple other things, but after you did these things, ran 10 miles, in my eyes, you're good. So if you can run these 10 miles and do these things by tomorrow at first pitch you get the ball and I watched him run 10 miles around our field and do these things and and I you know at that point I was like you know what these kids are athletes and they'll do whatever it takes to be able to get back on the field so what do they want most what do they like most what they love most the baseball field so you take that away from them and then I think you really kind of hurt them a little bit where it counts and, um, and so, um, I'll, I'll never forget that just hearing, hearing Jim and, and talk about that, um, about how he handled that. And so we've kind of tried to do some things similar. It's just like, Hey, listen, I'll call you when I need you. And, uh, just kind of using either the bench or just like going home as, um, kind of our way of, of saying, Hey, this, this team is way bigger than you. Yeah. And so. Um, so that's, that's what I've kind of found is the, the, the best, um, way to kind of hold our guys accountable when things aren't really matching up. So did you wear the creams for the national championship game? hundred percent. Still doing it. Um, so really funny story. Um, and again, you know, this, this was really a storybook year in a lot of ways. And, and, and obviously what we hope is, was our last game as a division three, uh, but uh, the creams is something that we we started years and years ago, um, and um, we bought them back in 2012, and we wore them kind of on 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 the weekends, and then in in, in 2014 they kind of became this, which was our first national championship year, but um, they became this. Uh, we only wear them when we sweep, or when we have a chance to dogpile, and we kind of turned them into this special uniform. And uh, it was actually kind of by accident, but then it kind of became a thing. And so we just rolled with it. But um, 
you know, we won in them in 14 and then in 15, we dogpiled at the regional, we dogpiled national championship 16, regional, seven, and then 18, you know, we won our original. And then in, in 18, we lost the national championship game in the creeps. And that was kind of the first dent in the armor. You know, up to that point, it was kind of like putting on Superman's cape. It's like when our guys wore the creams, you weren't beating the Apaches. And that was what was kind of cool about them. And so the first dent in the armor was, was 18. So you roll around to 19 and um, we get to our super regional and we lose in them and we don't make post and we don't make the world series. And so you come to 20, that was COVID. And so you come to 21. And so we wore them um, against Coastal in the Super Regional and we lost. And so there was a couple of guys on the team that had lost in them in 19 that were still here. Um, Jacoby Bogue, who was on my staff, was a part of that team in 19. He had never won in them. And so I'm the only one in the program now that has ever won in the creeps, except for Jordan. Um, Jordan being back on staff. So me and Jordan, the only ones that have ever won the creams. And so after we lost, our guys were like, we're not wearing these again. We're not wearing these again. And so when we got the at-large bid and uh, we're packing for Tennessee and, and we, we put up on our board everything that we take. And so they're packing their bags and I put the cream uniforms on the board. And so everybody's asking about it. Like, why are we taking those? Why are we taking them? And so we kind of, we named our trip to Tennessee, redeem the creams. Love it. And so, um, you know, we, we win the first game, win the second game, win the third game. Now we're in the championship game and our guys are, I get on the bus and I was like, redeem the creams. And so we were able, we, we broke them out. I still think, and, and, and I'll be honest as a coach, I had to get buy-in on that. Because I still, you know, I mean, you know this, psychologically, there's a lot that goes into that. A ton. You know, guys like their uniforms. They like, we had certain uniforms that we, that we liked, that we, in fact, the, the, the pin, our white pins were hot and the guys wanted to wear those. And I said, I was just like, I was very adamant. They have one more in them. They have one more in them. And you don't understand when you get to the national tournament and people see the Apaches and the creams, it's, it's not, it's not good news. And, and so, um, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, we're, we're going, we're in that, <laughs> we're in the national championship game. We're losing in the middle innings. And I had some eyeballs, uh, that were like, why are we wearing the creeps, you know? And so fortunately Miggy goes up there, hits that home run, we dogpile. And so I've, I've actually have a dogpile wall in my office and every single dogpile is in a cream uniform. And so hopefully, um, and, and we, we are retiring the creams. Um, we're actually going to auction those off this fall um, because there's now five um, different classes that have won NAS champs from those. So we're going to auction them off and create a fundraiser. And so um, hopefully um, we can solidify us transitioning to division one. And so that was kind of the end of an era. And so felt like it was just kind of storybook in that regard. And so uh, redeem the creams, man. And they had Love one it. more in them. So when do you address that with them with the tradition piece? Cause I'm always intrigued with only having guys for maybe a year or two from the tradition piece. When did you discuss that with them? What the, what the cream uniforms meant? Yeah. So this year was a little different because I didn't have as many guys that have, have worn them, but, but really in the past, 
the players sold it. It was all player driven. Um, hey, we don't lose when we wear the creams. Like 14 to 15, 16 to 17. Like you wear the creams, we don't lose. And it was very sacred. Um, the sophomores knew that. They passed it down to the freshmen. I didn't really have to sell that. Um, this year, I had to sell it because, like I said, I, I didn't have as many guys that have. Um, and, and, you know, we did something cool. We, um, I was able to get, um, some of our former players to do some video, um, you know, and I'd send it to the guys and, and, you know, just kind of some former players, whether they're in major, they're in minor league baseball now, or some guys that are playing Taylor Broadway was at Ole Miss and we had some guys in division one baseball and I'd have them, you know, send some video, just recordings back. And so that was kind of a cool way to kind of tie in a little bit of that um, um, tradition, but, um, you know, really most, I, I think the way I would, I would draw it up is your players, you know, continue to sell that. And so, um, you know, I think that's one of the best things is, is if your players can sell your traditions and, and that you hear about this all the time, our best players were our best leaders this year by far. And it was really, really neat uh, to see them drive that, that boat. And so, um, but, uh, I, I think if, if, um, if I had to, 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 if, if I had my choice, I'd want the players to, to do that. And, and, um, but because of COVID and because of the laps and kind of us winning in those, I had to do a little bit more of that, but, you know, I mean, that's, that's part of coaching, right. Is you, you, you try to sell your players on an idea and just, you know, you just try to get them to, to, to believe where you're taking them is where they want to go. Talk about the NJCA national team for somebody that doesn't know that the NJCA actually has a national team. Yes. Um, such a cool experience. And uh, fortunately I was able to serve on two of those teams in 16 and 18. Um, got to coach along with some outstanding junior college baseball coaches, some, some great baseball minds and uh, just had a ton of fun um, getting to coach along those guys and, and then, and then being able to try and pull some of the best junior college baseball players to, to come together and, and represent our brands. And, and, you know, um, certainly, uh, feel like the, the junior college, the NJCAA has a great brand of baseball. And so really cool to be able to pull from all different parts of the country and, um, to represent and wear the red, white, and blue. And there's nothing like wearing the red, white, and blue and uh, standing there for the national anthem. And so, um, in fact, that experience has actually changed how I teach my guys to do the anthem and, uh, and how I sell it to them and how I represent and how we just kind of talk through that. Um, something I never did before. Um, but certainly after serving on the team USA, I just, there's a little bit more pride that kind of goes into that um, having worn USA on your chest. And so representing something way bigger than yourself. And so, um, such a cool experience and, and, uh, now serving on the NJCAA international committee and having a little bit of, um, a, a say in, in where we go from here with that. And so obviously we haven't had a, a national team since 18. Um, hopefully, uh, this year we were, we were able to get back together, obviously COVID, you know, we're supposed to have one in 20 COVID kind of messed that up. So 
um, hopefully we can kind of get some puzzle pieces in place to get that back up and going because uh, it, it is such a cool piece. And, and fortunately, I was able to have some of my former players play on it with me and um, really a cool bonding experience and, and uh, you know, just a, a way to promote our game. And you're on the NJCA uh, executive committee as well. How long have you done that? Um, I, I'm probably one of the newest members. Um, I, I was named on that committee uh, right before COVID, probably. I think um, that ABCA was probably my first um, actual um, time to sit in on some of those meetings. And, and um, you want to talk about outstanding baseball minds and super humbled to be a part of that and excited to be in, in you know, that room being able to um, be on being on some of the groundwork on moving our game forward at the junior college level. It's super exciting. And uh, to be able to do that with some great baseball minds and uh, to be able to serve our great game at this level, um, man, I couldn't be more excited. I'm, I'm ready to, to get jump back in there and, and, you know, kind of get to meeting again. Yeah. Any, any ideas for how to continue to, to grow junior college baseball? Well, I think just, um, you know, just across the landscape of just the, 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 and, and it's always changing, but just, you know, the level of baseball that's being played is playing at such a high level. You know, I think just finding out different ways to grow, um, in attendances and, and, um, and, and a lot of things are happening. There's a lot more streaming going on. There's a lot more ways to watch our game, um, you know, which, which is great. And, um, and so, you know, I think there's a variety of ways as, as hopefully we can walk in the footsteps of the NCAA um, because you can't sit here and tell me that, that college baseball isn't growing and thriving right it's in now. It's a great place. After watching um, what went down on television over the last month and a half. And so um, hopefully us at the junior college level can continue to follow in that model and that footstep because we certainly feel like we have a great product and, and, you know, things like the national team is a great way to promote that. And so, um, but, uh, we're, we're talking about ways just even in our region and then, and then at a national level to, to be able to, to do that. And, and again, continue to grow our brand. Do you have a fail forward moment? I ask this everybody, do you have something that you thought was going to sidetrack you, but looking back now is one of the best things that, that ever happened to you? <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, when I was coming out of college, um, I worked construction for about six months. Jeff Lightfoot at Weatherford College gave me an opportunity to get in the game. Um, I was with him for a year. Um, John Growth, the, at the time, the head coach at Tyler Junior College, hired me to come be his assistant, get my master's degree here. And, um, I served two years as an assistant here. And then I really kind of felt like I was, I was ready to go. And, um, I applied for some jobs and I got denied. Um, I didn't even get some interviews back. Um, you know, and then one day John calls me in and says, Hey, I'm, I'm handing the program over to you. I'm 25 years old at the time. I mean, you know, I was wanting another opportunity, but I don't know if I was really wanting that opportunity, uh, to be the head coach, uh, you know, but at a college and at my alma mater, you know, where I played. 
And, um, but what such a cool opportunity and, and, you know, Hart Herring was, uh, we were both assistants at the time. He's the head coach of Brock high school and, uh, here in Texas. And so, um, fortunately Brock stayed with me. We kind of, we ran this together as three kids, as two kids running this program for a couple of years. And, uh, we certainly failed a lot, but, uh, it certainly made us who we are as head coaches. And so, I, I certainly think there was obviously some discouragement about, you know, being a young guy and just, you know, trying to um, figure out where you're going to land and where you're going to go and, 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 you know, not getting some callbacks and then getting some callbacks, but not getting the job. So I certainly think that was, um, you know, part of it. And, um, but, you know, as coaches, man, we fell all the time. There's, there's things that, you know, I look back on some things that I was doing 10 years ago and I'm like, man, gosh, I could have served my kids a lot better if I wasn't doing that. And so, you know, but you just, I think you just grow as a coach and you just, you understand what, um, what you value and you major on the majors, you minor on the minors and, uh, you'll, it's just like anything, you allow those failures to propel you to the next success. And, um, you know, I think one of the most motivating things for me was um, we actually hosted our World Series for a few years, um, 10, 12 years ago, going back to when I was an assistant coach in 08 and 09. And so we didn't, as an assistant, we didn't make the, the, the World Series in 2008 or 9. But hosting it, I still had to work it. So I had to sit there and watch a week of baseball at this championship tournament I wasn't part of. And so I think that's kind of what started building some of the, the building blocks for how I wanted to, you know, we, you know, we failed, we didn't get to that point, you know, and then I got to take over in 10 storybook year. We lost that championship game my very first year, which was crazy. So you know, 11 hits, 12 hits. We, you know, we got back to the world series in 12, we didn't win it. And so you just, you're like, you go back to the drawing board and how can we get better? And then we started figuring out some things in 14, 15, 16. And, and then, and then at that point you're trying to figure out, okay, how do we sustain this? How do we get better, sustain what we're doing, continue to get better. And so, um, you know, I think even as coaches, just like players, the failure helps us. And so, um, who else did you lean on for advice when you were a young head coach? You know, I, I, you know, I've been fortunate just to have some just big coaching mentors, um, whether it was guys that I played for, like John Growth or Jeff Lightfoot, coached with him. Um, you know, guys like um, I was really fortunate in high school, uh, Don Warner, who was who was. Um, in major league baseball, he was actually minor league baseball at the time, but he was a double a manager for the Bowie Bay Sox. So he was a guy that I had the, the chance to be able to go back, pick his brain on some coaching things. Um, you know, just other coaching mentors. Um, the ABCA played a huge role in that. Um, I mean, I, I sat there for years and I didn't, I didn't miss one lecture and just writing notes like crazy and, and, how can we implement this? Do I like it? Do I not like it? Do, are we already doing this? Are we not? Um, you know, I just think I, I have a little bit of obsession of, I always think that I'm behind and um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's I a common theme like, for successful people as they feel like that, they're behind. Right. 
I, I always feel like there's something else that I can be doing that maybe someone else is that I'm not doing yet. And so, you know, I used to hear, well, I heard Nick Saban put it like this, and this is going to be very raw and unquoted, but, um, you know, someone was asking him about people watching his practices and he says, it doesn't really bother me. And he goes, why? You don't think they're going to steal what you're doing and try to emulate what you're doing? He goes, by the time they go back to their practice and they emulate and they implement it and they learn how to do it well, I'm onto something different. And so that's kind of what I've been, that's kind of what I've tried to, you know, do is just like how, you know, what can we do in our program that can continue to push us forward and um, maybe doing some things maybe other teams aren't doing. And so, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to, to um, you know, guys like Dan Hefner, who is certainly gracious and sharing his brilliant offensive mind. And, and we actually had a conversation about machines not but two weeks ago at a recruiting event that we were about that. So, you know, um, I think that's just, um, you know, something that we've kind of hung our hat on, but just always trying to find things that, that we could do a little bit better. What's the worst advice you've ever gotten? Oh man. Worst advice. Um, you know, I try to think, um, You know, I, I don't know if I necessarily think of any kind of advice as being bad. Um, either I and think you touched on it. I mean, you, you learn you learn just as much on what not to do, right? As you do right. on, on what to do. Yeah, I think that's more so. If if I hear something that that and and then it's it's just kind of filtering it through. Do I think that's going to help our guys or not? Um, you know, I, I have a saying. We have a saying on staff like we we want. The, at the at the basis of every decision that we make in our program, and that's academically to baseball stuff to weight training stuff, all the facets of our game is is this going to help our players be successful? Are we setting them up for success by doing this? If the answer is yes, then we're going to find a way to implement it. If it's not, then we'll just dismiss it and move on. And so I think that's kind of how my mind works um, with information. Um, good or bad is, um, and, and I do this with my coaches too, is, is I, you know, when we start talking about practice planning or things that we want to try to accomplish maybe in a day or a week, you know, or, or maybe in, in, in a month as we like kind of step back big picture, um, I kind of already have an idea of what I want to do. I think that's just every head coach. We have our own opinions. Um, I have an idea of how I think this should go. Um, and one of the things that I tell my assistants, I say, one of your jobs is to, is to present some things to me that maybe prove me wrong, or if your idea is better than my idea, I'm going to take your idea. And so it's not necessarily that I think your idea is bad. I have an idea of how I want to do, and then I want to, I want to present that to you. And if, if, and I want you to be honest with me and raw that if, if you think that's good, then let's do it. If you think there's something wrong with that, I want you to present that to me. Um, Cause I, your job as an assistant is to find some holes in, in, in my, in, in my thinking. And, and, and so, um, and I'm certainly not um, above um, doing something different just because it's not my idea. And so, um, you know, 
I, I certainly tried to prompt my assistants in that way of just, you know, hey, tell me what I need to know. Tell me the holes in my plan and um, tell me the things that you don't think could go well. And then, and then we'll try to figure out how to plug those holes. So um, again, I think that's just kind of how my mind filters information sometimes. Hey, you talked about breaking guys down hitting wise in the fall and not doing it too much. How do you know when, if you're breaking a guy down too much? Um, I think, um, I think you can kind of just see it with, um, you know, obviously we, we want to see results. We want those results to trend in the right direction. I do think sometimes when you do break some things down, there is a little bit of a regression before there is some progression. So I think as a coach, I'm looking for, it, it shouldn't be that much regression. Um, that regression time shouldn't be that, that long. And so if I don't see them really taking steps forward, you know, after a certain amount of time, then we're going to try to hit this from a different angle. Um, I think you're just kind of looking for that bounce back and then for them to kind of propel themselves through that ceiling where they were, um, event or at, at the start of this whole deal. And so, you know, um, it's a balancing act. Sometimes you can just, you can see them thinking too much. You can see them overthinking. Um, that's a big, the, the big thing for me is, is try to get their mind out of the way and let them be free and flowing. If, if athletes are free and they're flowing and they're smooth, they're at their best. When they're very intrinsic, I think there's times we do a lot of drills. Um, and I learned this from Dan Hefner a while back. Um, we will do um, early in the fall, there will be some times where I tell them, I want you to be very intrinsic right here. I want you to be thinking about this. I want you to think about how your body is working and doing this. And then it may be even the same day, a couple of drills later, Ron be like, hey, I'm going to give you an extrinsic goal and I just want you to do it. No more intrinsic thinking. I want you to think of this extrinsic goal. So um, we use a lot of extrinsic goals most of the time um, so that they aren't in their head a lot. We want them to flow. We want them to be free. We want them to hit the ball hard without having to think about hitting the ball hard. So um, those are some things that we talk about quite a bit um, with our guys. And so I think as a coach, you just kind of, you can pick up sometimes um, guys, there's that some good research coming out now. Intrinsic. Yeah. There, there, there's some really good research coming out now about when, when to do internal focusing, when to do external. And really it, it's once, once someone reaches mastery, I mean, Otani's getting some play now. Guy hasn't taken BP on the field right. uh, all season. Right. <laughs> we'll see how, right. we'll see how the home run derby does with his swing. But yeah, I mean, there, there's some things that it's interesting and, with the Far East, I mean, they have some different training modalities, but it, it's neat some of the research that's coming out now, like when you should use internal cues, when you should yeah. use external cues, and and that's continuing to evolve. That's the fun thing yeah. with coaching now is there's so much research out there on the peak performance side and the performance side that's coming out that's going to yeah. help co coaches continue to evolve with practice, yeah. with development, um, just crazy. You know, even even Alonzo talked about last night in his post game. The post BP interview was, I got a good night's sleep. I drank enough water. I had a good meal last night. Wasn't anything about his prep other yeah. than what he was doing yeah. to get ready to go out and perform yeah. and it had nothing to do with baseball. 
Nope. Nope. He had the music going. He had the head bob a little bit. He was the most relaxed of anybody that you saw hit last night. It was very apparent. And now he was the only returning. He's the only guy that came in with experience. So that, that does serve him well. But uh, that dude, you want to talk about free and flowing last night. That guy, um, that guy was letting it eat. And uh, he had the head bobbing. And he was just being an athlete, seeing it and hitting it and not trying to do too much. Yeah, they showed so, him hitting high tees too in the in the cage. Was was doing the yeah. high tee drill in the cage. <laughs> yep. I love it. And he, I, you know, his BP guy was he was. I think there was some purpose with that. There was, you know, he was just trying to get the barrel head out and yeah. letting that core that coarse filled air take it out of there. So, you have any morning or evening routines that you you do that you like? Anything you do consistently in the mornings or the evenings that you feel like help you? Yeah, I try. Um, I try now, you know, with three little kids, this makes it a little tougher, but I try to get up a little early before everybody gets up. Um, I try to, you know, I try to get in the word. I try to do a devotional. I try to do a little reading before everybody kind of gets going. Uh, there's certainly times of the year that's easier for that. Um, and there's, uh, there's certainly times where being a dad, you know, I'm a little more tired in the morning and, and you know, but that that's something I try to be consistent with. You know, um, you know, I, I think that is important when it comes to that. I have my coffee. I try to do things, just try to get going for the day and kind of set yourself up again for success. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, just that preparation getting in the day. We, we actually, our situation is a little um, different, but we actually practice in the mornings. So I get that. I get out of the house. I go to the, I'll go to the ballpark and we kind of start our, our routines there. What time do you guys start? We start like nine, nine 30. And so we have some early, early mass fungo that'll go about 20 minutes before, but um, you know, we get done by lunchtime and then we kind of, we kind of flip flop it. We do some of our strength training and, and, and some of our um, classroom type stuff in the afternoons um, study halls and those kind of things. And so, um, but I think um, it's phenomenal. On honestly, I think it's phenomenal to get get your work done and be done yeah. with it. Allows them to recover much longer period to recover for the next day. Absolutely. You know, we were kind of forced to do it because of some scheduling about four or five years ago, and then we just kind of kept it because we liked it. And um, you know, I like lifting after practice. I do too. I like lifting in the afternoons. You know, um, that was something else we started doing. We stopped these 6 a.m. workouts because they, you know, guys weren't, I mean, they're, they're zombies at that point. You know, college kids are going to bed at 12, 1 o'clock, you know, and they're, they're working on five hours of sleep. And then we're asking them to push around a lot of weight and be excellent and bring energy and then, and then go to class and not fall asleep and then come to practice and, and do it again, be excellent, and bring the energy and, and then, you know, and then go back and study. And, you know, you know, when we go, we really, we very rarely do anything for nine o'clock. And, and so, you know, there's a lot of sleep studies out now that are like high performing athletes, not only need eight, but upwards of 10 hours of sleep to be a peak performance. And so you're like, well, and the injury risk doubles, absolutely. doubles absolutely. below, below eight hours, the risk of injury yep. doubles. Absolutely. And so, 
so we get our workouts done in the morning and then, you know, we do our weightlifting that afternoon followed by, or study halls followed by a, a, a lift at four o'clock in the afternoon. And those guys are, those guys get after it at four o'clock. Their baseball is done for the day. And, and, and now this is what they can, they don't, you know, sometimes you put the weights before the practice and those guys are going to kind of halfway do the weights because they want to be good during practice. And so we've kind of flipped that and really felt like that's been a, a good transition for us. But, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how we've kind of built our day in, in the last several years. And so, um, and then our guys, our guys only take class two days a week. So that's been good too. So there's been some, you know, there's, there's days where we have them more than, than, you know, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays, we're not to worry about pulling them out of class or, you know, skipping class or whatever. And then you don't have to worry about them and their 8 a.m. skipping it or sleeping through, you know, their classes start at 1 p.m. So higher, higher chance of them making the class and staying awake and productive. So awesome. What are some final thoughts? You know, um, man, just, I guess one, um, recapping the year, um, just an unbelievable storybook year for us. Um, you know, we had a bunch of really good leaders. We had high buy-in. We had great people on our team. I think that's important. Um, that, uh, if you're, if you're building in to make, to, allowing them to become great people. I think that's going to, it's going to enhance their baseball experience. Um, but um, I think, you know, big picture, you know, for me, just been really blessed. The Lord has blessed me greatly with coaches that I've worked with, with players that I've worked with, you know, being around the game, you be around it longer and uh, you start to realize that um, it's way more than X's and O's. And uh, we are teachers and builders of men. And um, that is something that we try to put a um, maximum priority on. And so I guess if I'm, if, if there's some younger coaches that are listening to this, that would be my charge to you is, is, um, you know, understand that the baseball side is important for sure. And it's a passion, but it's just a vehicle. Um, cause these kids, I, I got a text, um, you know, I, I do kind of a send off with my guys, you know, the last time we're together, it's a send off and it's, it's the, you know, you know, just kind of a charge out into the world type dad sending his, his, all of his sons out in the world. And, and, you know, I talked to them about, man, I don't claim to be the best dad or husband in the world, but I, I work really hard at it. And if you ever, you know, need to call me about anything, please don't hesitate. And I had a kid that about a week later, he was like, you know, coach, you, you, you mentioned that you might not be the best dad, but he goes, you've been the biggest father figure in my life. And so you get texts like that and hundred percent validates on what you do and way more than the championship does. And so, you know, I think a lot of times as coaches, we hang our, we, we put our stock in the wins and losses as far as, as, um, successfulness is concerned, but. I got a text the other day from a kid and I never thought he would graduate, but his text was, Hey, I appreciate it. I graduated. He goes, I would have never done it without you. Yeah. And that, that's all that makes it all worthwhile. And as, as, you know, as hard headed, as, as some of them can be. And it's just, you know, just 
you know, very, very selfish. And sometimes they can be, and, and but at some point we're they're supposed to be at that age though. I mean, it's, yep. it, 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 yep. it, they still have so much brain development left to do that they don't, they're not going to think the way that they should at times. Like that's just what they are with, from a brain development piece. So yep. it, that just Absolutely. comes with being that age. Yep. And we're and we play such a big role in 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 helping them through that that process and helping them become the men that they need to become and and um and you know just like I mean you've you've a hundred times and I, I did this with some of my coaches is I didn't appreciate what they did until I was removed from the situation or five years later ten years later and so that's all we're trying to do is, is, and I, I know it may sound easy from a guy that's had some success and it's like, man, it's easy to, to say that, but success you know, leaves ulti- clues. Success. Ultimately we, you know, I, I try to hang my hat on that more than the wins and the losses because we're going to have some good years. We're going to have some okay years. And, um, but as long as we're building into our, our guys here and, and using this, this program as, as a vehicle, then, um, man, we're going to be successful. And, and, um, and so, you know, I have a verse that I, I kind of coach by and, it, and it's first Corinthians 11, one, it says, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. And that's literally what I try to do each and every day. And, um, you know, I try to be the best person I can be so that, that my guys see an example of, of hopefully not what it means to be a perfect person or dad or husband, but just a, a, a man that, um, you know, hopefully tries to do things the right way, puts other people in front of himself, um, works hard. And, um, you know, hopefully those, those are some things that they'll remember about me years on down the road when they're like, okay, what does it mean to be a dad? Well, you know, maybe they saw me around my kids, just loving on them and, and being there for them. So, um, coaching is certainly a calling and, uh, I've certainly been blessed and rewarded through it. Um, and such a, such a short career and so far. And so I, I, I hope that I have many, many more years to come. Appreciate it, Doug. Thanks for coming on with me. Yeah, Ryan, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much to Coach Ren for coming on with me. He's a servant leader and great ambassador for the game of baseball. If you haven't seen his 2019 Dallas Convention talk with Jeff Petty and Patrick Murphy, I would highly recommend watching their panel Q&A on developing championship culture. Thanks again to John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at coachb underscore abca, Instagram ryanbrownlee17, or direct message me via the MyABCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you. <laughs>